0: As you watch this teaching, I would like to ask you to please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. This is Friday night, and
1: what a week we have had. Thank you for being with us as much as you could be this week. We've had such a good time with you, Home Group. And I'm talking about me and Denise and Paul and Joel. Hey, guys.
2: Hey, Rick. Hey, home group. Welcome. We're glad you're with us. It's Friday
1: night, guys. Friday
2: night, and here we are together.
0: I don't know what other people do on Friday nights, but we do home group. Are you singing?
2: I'm singing. Yes.
0: Well, I've really enjoyed this week. <laughs> I really have. And all these questions. Have you enjoyed these questions, too? I sure have. And if you would tell us which question you liked the most or answer, we might do this again. I think it's been a lot of fun. And look what we have tonight.
3: What is this, Paul? that looks strange these are canopic jars canopic jars now canopic jars were used in the mummification process in egypt
1: now i have to be honest these are imitations these are reproductions you
0: mean these are not thousands of years no these are not
1: but they are from egypt but they are from aswan Mm -hmm. anybody know what
3: aswan is Yes. What is Aswan? Aswan is in the south of Egypt. It's actually more African than Egyptian. And it's where the famous Aswan Dam was built by the Soviets. During the Soviet years. It was a gift from the Soviets to the Egyptians. And thanks to the dam, the Nile River now stays within its banks. It's easy to, to control the... Amount of Water in the Nile River, and that's where the Aswan uh, Dam is located. That's right. But why is Aswan important to us? Because it's the end of the tour. There's basically nowhere else to go in Egypt as soon as you get down to Aswan. And that is how far Joseph, Mary, and Jesus got when they were on their run from Herod. And when you're in Egypt you can go to many places that Jesus was actually at. We've been to a few of them.
1: Now, how do you know that? Because it was very documented by the church at that time, the Coptic church. Yes, You could do a whole tour of the flight into Egypt. When the Bible tells us that they had a flight into Egypt, they didn't just run over to Egypt. They were on the flight the whole time they were in Egypt because Herod had sent spies to try to hunt them down. They started in Cairo. You can go to the place where they started, actually a little north of Cairo. Then they came to old Cairo, and they just kept moving all the way down to Aswan. And that is very interesting because Aswan, by the way, all the places where they stopped were Jewish communities. There were little tiny Jewish communities all up and down the Nile. And when you got to Aswan, there's an island called Elephantine Island. It's right in the middle of the Nile, and the reason it's called that is because the rocks look like elephants with trunks. It's very, very interesting. Big rocks. Big rocks. There was a Jewish community there. And just outside of Aswan, there was actually a religious structure that was used by the Jews. A lot of Jews were in Aswan. It was a safe place for the Holy Family to be. But Aswan is also where Abraham picked up Hagar. Hmm. All of that happened in Aswan.
3: It's also where we ate stuffed pigeon.
1: Oh, we did. We had pigeon there, and we took a ride through the wilderness on camels. That was never a lot of forget fun. that.
3: My camel's name was Joe Mar- Bob Marley. My Bob camel's Marley. name was Bob Marley.
1: Anyway, these canopic <laughs> jars are replicas that we purchased in the market in Aswan. Well, how were these used? Well, when the Egyptians would mummify a body. First, they would remove all of the internal organs except one part. Anybody know
3: what part? What? The heart. They left the heart. For some reason, the heart was not considered important for the afterlife.
1: No, just the opposite. The heart was considered to be the seat of the soul. And they didn't want to take the heart out of the body. They wanted the soul to stay in the body. Okay. And the mummification process took 70 days. First, they would dry the body. They would put it in certain salts, then they would put it in sand and totally dry it like it was leather. Mm-hmm. Then everything had been extracted except for the heart. After they dried it, the body would have indentation, so they would fill it with linens to kind of give it its normal form, and then they would begin to uh, wrap it in materials. They would conceal little secrets and jewelry in it, and then they would cover that with resin. Then they would put it in what we would call a coffin, which was then placed inside another coffin and another coffin and another coffin, kind of like a matryoshka doll. Mm-hmm. And finally, they would then usually put them inside a huge granite sarcophagus. And I want you to read a verse.
3: Okay. I am reading from Genesis chapter 50, verse 26, the very last verse of Genesis. And it says, Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him. So Joseph was in Egypt. He served in Egypt. Uh, He was a servant of the king, and he embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. He was mummified. Now, Joseph did not
1: believe in the Egyptian religions, but that's where he was. And he was not just the servant of the king. He was the second after the king.
3: He was a very respected
1: person. So he would have been given a regal, regal Egyptian burial. Well, how did they use these jars? Well, this is the baboon. This is the jackal. This is the person. This is the falcon. And all the time, different internal organs were placed in different one of these, and they were preserved so that the person in the afterlife would have them for their new body. Mm -hmm. Well, in the baboon, they placed the liver. In the jackal, they placed the stomach. In the person, they placed the liver. And in the falcon, they placed the intestines. You know, it's amazing. People have always been concerned about eternity.
3: When you go to Egypt today and you look at all, everything that's left from the great Egyptian years, their early kingdom, the middle kingdom, the later kingdom, everything that you see has to do with the afterlife. It's all about eternity. It's actually very difficult to find anything that has to do with how they actually lived. There are very few structures that remain from, out, from their palaces or homes. Most of it is all about the afterlife.
1: And there's something else very important, which really struck me the first time that we took a trip down the Nile. And that is, in the hieroglyphs, there are pictures of people standing before a judge in the afterlife with scales. Remember what's on the scales? On one side of the scale is a heart, and on the other side of the scale is a feather. And if your heart was heavier than the feather, you were in trouble, you were measured, you were judged in the afterlife. People have always known that ultimately there would be a judgment. Doesn't matter what religion, everyone has a sense of accountability. And praise God, we don't have to worry about the afterlife because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus answered that question for us. When God looks at us in the afterlife, he's going to see the blood of Jesus. He's going to say, come on.
3: And in your regular program this week, you're talking about the Antichrist and the... Uh, resurrection when we'll be taken up with God. Yes. And so we don't have to worry about putting our most important organs in jars. Praise God. Amen. Because we'll be given new bodies. But you need to get the download. It's
1: free. It's a study guide. Just go to render.org to get it. It's called The Coming of the Antichrist. all about the end times, the rapture, the resurrection, and it comes with this wonderful uh, 10-part series. And we're also offering you Today, for the last time on the program, Last Day's Survival Guide. Wow, that was kind of fun. Joel, you've been kind of giggling.
0: I just I just wanted to say that my parents are very special. They like dinosaur bones. jars <laughs> where you keep your organs. Silverware and plates that you can't use. They're ancient. And I just think it's very funny. Samovars and all this. And that's just a little piece of it all. They collect rocks. I mean, it's really weird. But... <laughs> Oftentimes, people say, what would your parents like for their birthday? And I always think, I do not know. <laughs> you yeah, have bone.
3: Maybe, maybe you've dug up a bone somewhere. You that know, would be great. <laughs>
0: well, that, that's what I think is just very humorous. But I heard a long time ago that love is spelled T-I-M-E, time. And so I think that's the best gift of
1: all. Amen, it is. Hey, I've got something I don't know if you guys have ever even seen. I've got a box in my office that contains human bones I dug out of the earth in a dig. Okay. You know where I think it all started? My grandpa Renner, who was a German immigrant, had the coolest office. And when I would go into his home office, he had little trinkets everywhere. And when I was a kid, I would walk in there and just be mesmerized by all that. And when other boys wanted to be at the baseball field or fishing, ugh, I hated all that. I wanted to be at the museum. I just wanted to go to the museum. I dreamed of archeology. span I'm talking about when I was five and six years old. Anyway, it's probably part of the call of God in my life. It was waking up when I was a child. And you know what, when you grow up, you get older, but the things you love when you're a child, they kind of stay with you. Okay, Joel, what's our first question? Hey, if you need prayer, call us 1-800-742-5593 or
0: send us your prayer request prayer at renner.org. Joel, how old were Mary and Joseph when they were betrothed? Well, how old do you think they were? Let's start with Mary. Sixteen. Sixteen. Paul?
3: Anywhere between 13 and 16.
1: Denise?
2: I'd say 15.
1: Probably 12 to 14. Now, I believe the next question, because I looked at them, is why did God choose Mary? And let's talk about what it means to be betrothed. Well, the Jews were so serious about marriage that everyone was required one year of preparation for marriage. Just think how many more marriages would be successful today if people took a whole year to get ready for marriage. And in that year, they really studied. Girls spent time with wives, young men spent time with husbands. It was a year of intense preparation because they understood it was the most serious relationship in their life, and it was for the rest of their life. No one quickly went into marriage. But the moment you became betrothed, your relationship was already legal. In fact, to end a betrothal, you would have had to have a divorce. You didn't sleep together. You didn't live together. But you were betrothed. And the betrothal was so serious that from time to time you could take your future spouse into your home, but you lived separately. It was a time of separation, and that's also important, because it was a time when you were proving your purity before God. All of this was very important in the Jewish mind. And so betrothal was a very serious thing. And the actual marriage ceremony happened a year later, and something else that I bet you didn't know, every Jewish wedding ceremony occurred at night. Did you know that? It was always a nighttime celebration. And so there were always women there carrying lamps like the ones we showed the other night. It was always an event of celebration that occurred in the evening.
0: Joel. Okay. Well, how old was Joseph
1: when they got betrothed? Well, we don't know. But as I shared in an earlier program, we know that Joseph was quite a successful young man. And it is likely that Joseph was chosen by Mary's parents. Well, how would they have known Joseph? Because Mary's parents lived in Sepphoris, or Sepphoris, and Mary's father, we know this from early church writings, was in charge of the synagogue library in Sepphoris. Now, Paul, have you ever been to Sepphoris? Yes. Joel, have you ever been to Sepphoris? Yes. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Sepphoris was called the Ornament of Galilee, and there was a synagogue there, there was a theater, there were only two theaters in all of Israel because the Jews wouldn't go to the theater this was a pagan deal and the theater was built by Herod Antipas there was a tiny tiny little theater in Jerusalem which they only recently excavated nobody knew it was there but the theater in Sepphoris was quite large it seated 5,000 people and Sepphoris was a very elegant city a rich city a lot of politicians lived there it was the banking center of the whole Middle East in the middle of it was the synagogue, and the synagogue was quite elaborate. And that is where Mary's father worked, and he was the keeper of the scrolls. Which means Mary grew up in a house where the Bible was believed. Mm-hmm. And not just believed, she had a daddy who was the keeper of the scrolls.
3: Which means she probably could read.
1: I'm sure she could read, absolutely. Absolutely and she was educated. Mm -hmm. She was educated. Joseph was sophisticated. He was a very educated man, or he would have never been called a technon, which is what the Bible calls him. In Matthew 13, verse 55, he was a very handsomely paid Technician. uh, technician. This picture totally changes what most people have in their minds, because most people think they were just poor people from a filthy little town called Nazareth, working with sawdust on their clothes and an instrument cutting wood in their hands. Doesn't match reality at all. Not at all. First of all, there weren't any jobs in Nazareth. It was just a sleeping community. Everybody in Nazareth worked next door in Sephorus. And that is where Joseph became known to Mary's parents. And they probably said, wow. This outstanding young man, what a husband he would make for our daughter. And they were betrothed. Mm -hmm. Okay, next question. Why did God choose Mary? Well, God would have to answer that question, but we can make some assumptions. We can assume that she was raised in a home where she had heard the Bible. She was raised in a spiritual environment where she was taught to have an ear for God. That's why it was very easy for God to speak to her. She had been trained for that. She was a good girl. She was a church girl. She wasn't just randomly chose. You know, people who think that God just writes names and puts them in a paper sack and just shakes them up and reaches in and says, oh, okay, I'll use this one. No, no, no. The way that God works is very predictable. Mm -hmm. People say that God works in strange and mysterious ways. Well, not according to the Bible. God is very predictable. And how he chooses people, his choice is based on knowledge. He watches, he looks for faithfulness, and that's who God chooses. There were qualities in Mary which caused God to choose him. Okay, next question. Why did God choose Joseph? Same answer. Same answer. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you're not faithful in mammon, why would God ever trust to you true riches? Mm-hmm. If
3: you're not faithful in the simple things, if you're not faithful with money, if you're not faithful with what, with what has already been delegated to you, mm-hmm. then why would you be trusted with something else?
1: Okay, a lot of religious people say, well, God just chose a poor carpenter. Okay, if you were God, and you were going to send your son into the world, would you say, I want to choose somebody poor, somebody has never done anything, never been faithful, somebody who has no successful experience in life, somebody will not know how to take care of my son. Mm -hmm. Of course not. You wouldn't do that to your own children. God was predictable. He looked for somebody committed to the Word, somebody who had a spiritual life. Joseph was so spiritual that he had dreams in which angels spoke to him, Mm -hmm. and he received it. He never even argued. He was such a good, godly, spiritual man that whenever he heard that Mary was pregnant, without his participation, he could have divorced her or put her away or humiliated her. But he was such a good, godly, kind man that he wanted to be good to Mary. That means God chose a good man to be the foster father of Jesus. None of this was just happenstance or accidental. God was looking at all of this when He chose Mary and when He chose Joseph. And Denise, it's so important that we realize we're not chosen by accident. If God gives us an assignment, it's because He has found that we've done something right. Maybe it's small, but we did something right.
3: Amen. The 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 same thing applies to us today as parents. Our children are given to us to be raised by us, and at some point, our children will be leaving our homes, starting their own families, and fulfilling their own calling. So when I hear about Joseph and Mary, I think of myself also as a parent. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do in order for God, because God entrusted me with four children? What am I doing to give my children what I'm supposed to be giving them. And it's amazing that God has entrusted us. You you know yourself. You know your own parents. You know your own stories. It's amazing that God entrusts us with a dog, with a cat. It's amazing that God would entrust us with another human being. It's just absolutely amazing. But I have to be responsible with the task that God has given me to raise my children. Denise?
2: Well, I... With Joseph, if you, if, when, if you read about it, he was kind to her before he heard from the angel. There was a period of time where he knew that she was pregnant, and it's not his child. There was a time of testing for him. What am I? What am I going to do? I mean, she's been unfaithful to me he or, th- that's what he thought what am i what am i going to do but he was kind to her and i think that speaks so much about joseph and also i think it speaks to us about that time of testing for because for joseph it was a time of testing what am I going to do? This does not add up. It's not, this doesn't add up in my favor. She's not even been faithful to me and I love her. She's mine and she's given herself to somebody else.
1: Well, she didn't, but that's what he (coughs) could have thought.
2: Well, that's the natural thing. Who knows about virgin births, right? So in the natural, absolutely. She's not been faithful. And what am I going to do? And I just believe and I think that we come to places in our life where we're tested and things don't add up. And, and the question is, what am I going to do? How am I going to act kind? How am I going to be godly? How am I going to do the best I can do when it doesn't look very good? And that's how he was. And then God showed him that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, which is totally amazing.
1: God knew all that before Joseph, and that's why he cho- chose Joseph. Joseph had such a character. I mean, obviously, he had been tested earlier in life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're, you're right, Denise. He had a character that had been tested, and God knew these good things about him. There's something else. He was quick to obey. When the angel spoke to him, oh, he didn't argue. He said, take her to be your wife. He took her.
3: Other people in the Bible did argue when angels
1: showed up. He did not. He did not. And not only that, God knew that Joseph could be trusted with money because the Magi came. And they came with massive, massive, massive gifts. Somebody might say, well, what happened to all that money? Well, that's for another home group. But I want to say one more thing. Then the angel said, tonight, right now. Yeah. Get up and leave. Get Get up and leave. Well, get up and leave and go to Egypt. He didn't have a work permit for Egypt. He had to have a work permit in Egypt. He could have said, I've been building my career. Leave, leave. I am somebody that's becoming notable in Sephora's leave. He didn't argue. And God knew he would be obedient. God knew that. You know, I want to say one more thing. In my life, we've all made mistakes. But one day I said to the Lord, why did you choose me? He said, mainly because I knew one thing about you. I said, well, what was it? And the Holy Spirit said to me, I knew you would obey me. There are things that qualify you to be obeyed. It's not usually our talent. There's lots of talented people God just cannot touch. He can't use them. Well, there's a lot of talented people I know that I won't use. Talent does not make you attractive. Obedience, issues of character, God's watching, 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 watching. Those are the things that qualify us.
3: Paul? We're talking a lot about Jesus' family. (coughs) And when we talk about Jesus' family, there's something new that I just noticed. I'm reading a book about fathering right now. And in the book, there's some testimonies about children, about families that were broken up, divorced, the mother remarried, and the child from the first marriage— ended up with a foster parent, a foster father or a foster mother. And I know that's very difficult, because when new new babies are born, you're from a previous marriage, and sometimes there's a first-class and second-class approach to children and families. Jesus had a foster father. He did. There could have been some serious misunderstandings between him and his brother's. There could have been some issues there that the Bible doesn't talk a lot about, but it's easy to imagine them. And if you're experiencing difficulties because of your parents divorced, because you have a foster father, because your brothers or sisters were treated differently than you, guess what? Even Jesus, even that understands. It's pretty amazing. Jesus understands Everything that we experience. Amen, Denise?
2: Well, because Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 to 16 says that He's not a high priest that cannot be touched by our infirmities, by our struggles, but He was tempted in all ways that we are. Now, He didn't sin, but I'm telling you, I love that verse because anything, anything we've been tempted with, Jesus was tempted with it first. He didn't, he didn't sin, but he totally understands. And sometimes when you're in that place where you think you're alone because it's such a hard place, you're not alone because Jesus has been tempted in that very same way. And that next verse says, But come boldly before the throne of grace, not a throne of faith a throne of grace, that we might find help and mercy in our time of need. Jesus has done everything to get help to us.
1: Well, I know that we have probably really blown to bits a lot of religious thinking tonight about Mary and Joseph. But you know what? We need to really look at things not based on greeting cards or paintings, based on reality, what do we really
0: know from Scripture? Joel? I just wanted to add one more thing about Joseph. Sure. God watched Joseph, and I think this is what we've been saying the whole time. God watched Joseph very carefully before he ever appeared to him in a dream or used him. And God is watching us. He's watching you. He's, he's been watching you and watching you. And if you prove yourself faithful, he's going to show up and he can use you. Mm. It's really the truth. He can do that for anybody.
1: Amen. Thank you, son. I have just enjoyed this week so much. Actually, we've done two weeks of questions and answers.
3: We got a lot out of those canoptic jars today.
1: Yeah, isn't that amazing? And please don't write me and be critical because I have canoptic jars.
3: They're not real anyway. They're
1: not real anyway. Hey, but remember that we have a download for you. Go get it. Renner.org, The Coming of the Antichrist. It's wonderful. And the whole series, it's 10 parts. And today is the last day on the TV program that we're offering Last Day's Survival Guide. So go to our website or wherever books are sold and be sure to order your copy. But hey, runners, I want to say thank you. And God, wherever Philip is tonight, bless him. And we bless you. When you go to bed tonight, be sure to quote to yourself Psalm 4.8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep and the Lord will keep me safely. That's the best sleeping medication you can ever take. Sleep in the peace of God. We'll see you on Monday. Hey, and on Monday, we're going to start talking about symbols of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Wonderful. Wow. Ooh, it's I love going to be awesome. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye.
3: Bye-bye.
0: If that teaching helped you, would you please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it?